So we are continuing on our journey through the book of Ephesians, and we are in week four of Spirit-Filled Life, and just a little uh, small recap of where we are in Spirit-Filled Life. We have established that those who belong to Christ, those that are in Christ, you, if you remember back the first series that we did, In Christ, we talked about that before the foundations of the world, that we've been chosen in Christ, and that he has redeemed us, and he's called us, and because of that relationship with Christ, Because of who we are in Christ, our life should look different. Is that not true? We should look different. Our life should be different. And and that was kind of the first three chapters of looking back into eternity past of what God has done for us. And we looked at all the spiritual blessings. And then we got to Ephesians 4 verse 1. And the Apostle Paul says that you should live, that we should live our life as Christians in a way that represents who we are. Who we are in Christ should impact the way we talk, the way we walk, the what, what, what we do with our time. And so that's kind of the idea of this series, The Spirit-Filled Life, is that, is that we, are, we are seeing that a spirit-filled life is not a life that is under the, the control of anything else but the Holy Spirit. And that, that's the goal of our life. Is that the goal of your life? You know, there's so many things that seek to try to control us, to, to control our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions. There's many things in this world that are used by the enemy to try to control us and to get us to do things that are displeasing to God in his word. And a spirit-controlled, a spirit-filled life, that word filled, speaks of being under the control of the Holy Spirit. We should be filled with the Spirit. The spirit-filled life says that, Lord, I, I want to be following your lead, obeying your word. I want to be controlled by your Holy Spirit and not by my flesh. So that's kind of the journey that we've been walking on and and last week, we talked about spirit-filled speech. We talked about how one, one of the areas that needs to be impacted in our life as Christians is the way in which we talk. So we talked about four different types of speech last week and how to live a spirit-filled life means that our tongue should be under the control of the Spirit of God instead of our flesh. And isn't that difficult? Don't you find that to be challenging? If, if there's one area that I sin in more than other areas, it would be with my tongue. That's what scripture says. When there's a multitude of words, Proverbs says, transgression is unavoidable. And so that's what we talked about last week. And we, we prayed at the end of that message that the Lord would help us to guard our tongue. That we would be spirit controlled with our speech instead of controlled by our flesh. This week, we're going to talk about unforgiveness. We're going to talk about the issue of bitterness and unforgiveness. And all of us in our life at some point have dealt with this. Or at some point, we'll deal with this. Someone's going to hurt you. Someone's going to offend you. Someone's going to say something. Isn't that how typically offense happens? Somebody's going to say something that's going to hurt you. It's going to offend you. And you're going to have to make a decision on what you're going to do with that. How are you going to handle that offense? It's not a matter of will you be offended in this life. It's what are you going to do with the offense? Are you going to allow that offense to become bitterness and anger and malice? And hatred, or are you going to release it into the Lord's hands? And so that's, that's where we live. Is that not where we live? Is that where you live? That's where I live. I, I, I think very often we like to believe that this is something that we can kind of just shove under the rug, and that's just between me, you know, it's my emotions and it's my feelings, but you really, that's really not the case. When we live in unforgiveness and bitterness, it impacts every relationship we have. When we, cho- when we choose, when we refuse to let go of the hurt that is in our heart, it really does, over time, stain every relationship we have. 
And, and it, it, it hinders us from being who we're called to be in the relationships God's called us to be in. So that's the subject we're going to look at. And I know it's a serious subject because there's, there's those of you here this morning that you're living in unforgiveness right now. And you're struggling. And that unforgiveness has turned into bitterness and anger and, and maybe even hatred. And my prayer for you this morning is that as we go through the word in, in Ephesians, that, that I will be able to, that God's word will be able to give you some practical tools to help you to let go and to seek forgiveness. So I have a picture that I had Chuck find for me. This is a picture of a child. You guys ever had that for your child? Isn't that, isn't that neat as well as kind of a little creepy too at the same time? Right? So we, we, you know, animals should go on leashes, right? But we created a leash to go for our children. But it, 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 comes, in hand, it comes in handy at times, especially when you have a child like I do, like, like Reagan. Of course, jo, uh, Lincoln's going to grow up and probably be just like her. But, but when you have a child like Reagan, I mean, she is here, there, and everywhere. And if you know her, she is not, a, especially on, on this property, because uh, she's kind of growing up here, she is comfortable out here. So for the pumpkin patch, I mean, she just went everywhere. And I know some of you probably judging me for my parenting skills. <laughs> but, but she was okay, right? All y'all knew her, and uh, I probably should be a little bit more cautious. But, but she needs that sometimes. And you know what's interesting about that is that when you do put that on your child, they can maybe forget that that's on there at times, and they can go to take off. And what happens when they go to take off? They're reminded really quickly that they're under the control of something. They're reminded really quickly, wait a minute, I don't have the freedom that I thought I had. I thought I, thought I could go and run and get that thing that I wanted or go and talk to that person I wanted to talk to, but I realized real quickly that mom or dad, they're the ones that are really in control. And this right here for me, as I was thinking about it, is a picture of unforgiveness. When we wear that, it's, you know, unforgiveness is something that you wear. That you take ownership of that, and that's yours. And sometimes you think, well, I'm really free from that, and I'm really doing okay. But at any moment, you realize you're still under control. You don't, you don't have the freedom you thought you had. Maybe, maybe you, you see that person you're offended at in public, and it's a reminder that, that you're really not done with that yet. You really still are struggling, and you, get, and you get that jerk back, like that leash on that backpack right there. And you realize, and that to me is a picture of what it's like to be living, not free, but under the control of something. Let's look at Ephesians 4. This is where we're going to build the message here. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, it says this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, but be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Two simple verses, but some profound truths in these two verses. And this is what we want to do. We want to answer the question, how do you forgive? How do you forgive? How can we forgive those that have hurt us? How can we do it? Sometimes it feels like it's impossible. But I believe the scripture tells us, gives us in these two verses, four simple steps. I say simple. They're not simple. They're hard. But I believe that it gives us the steps that we can take that will help us to forgive those that have hurt us. So the first one is this. First one is this, is, is that we need to, we, we must kill the hostility. We must kill the hostility. And let's go back to that first verse there. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away, put away from you, along with all malice. And that word, that phrase, those two words, put away, when you study those words out, what they mean is, it means, it, it can mean to be terminated, or to be taken out, or even to be killed. 
So what's the Apostle Paul? Why don't you put the verse back up there for me? What's he saying here? He says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be killed from among you. Kill it. You've got to kill it. You've got to kill the hostility. You've got to choke the life out of the anger and the bitterness and the malice and the slander. You've got to kill the hostility. There's an, there's an aggressive nature in which we have to make a decision. Anger is a decision. Bitterness is a decision. There's an aggressive nature in which we have to make a decision to put away the bitterness that has been stewing in our hearts. And some of you think, as I said earlier, well, it's just between me and I'm going to hold on to that. It's not really impacting anyone. I just hold on to this bitterness and anger. It's not hurting anyone else but me. But, you know, that's a lie. That bitterness and that anger that dwells deep in our hearts will eventually lead to an outward manifestation. That word bitterness, that word bitterness, it's a picture of a deep stewing something that's in your heart. It's kind of like this really obnoxious noise that I'm about to make. <laughs> kind of like this really annoying noise that I'm about to make. It kind of is like this. If I kept doing that, you'd be like, please, stop. And I would run out of breath. But that's what bitterness is like. It's like this under the surface. It's always there. It's always there. It's there. You can't get rid of it. That's bitterness. And when you, when you don't kill the bitterness, when you don't root up that bitterness, what does it produce? It produces an outward manifestation. Let's go back to the text. What does the outward manifestation look like? That, 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 that first verse there, Chuck. Anger. It looks like anger. It looks like, excuse me, wrath and then anger. So that, that, mm, that, that under the surface stewing of that bitterness that's deep in our heart, eventually it's going to come out and it's going to be coming out in wrath, fits of rage and anger. And what's interesting, it continues on, clamor, that idea of, of clamor is trying to get attention. You, you, you've heard the phrase, someone's clamoring for attention. When that bitterness stews in you and you don't deal with it, you don't root it up, you don't kill it, you don't kill the hostility, eventually it's going to get to the point where you're going to clamor for attention and you're going to want people to know about this stewing bitterness, this wrath and this anger that is within you and then eventually you will do what? You'll slander. You'll slander. And what are you doing when you slander? What are we doing when we slander? We're trying to attack someone's character. We're going after their character because of this stewing bitterness that we, that we refuse to kill that we refuse to make the decision to let it go. Then it stews and it sits and then it builds and it turns into wrath, into hatred, into anger. And then eventually we're going to make some noise and it will, it will lead to slander. Clamor is a picture of making a loud noise to be heard, trying to get someone's attention. Slander is malicious talk. Slander is malicious talk intended to hurt someone's reputation. That's what slander is. If you say something and your intention is to hurt someone's reputation, you're slandering them. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit-controlled life is a life that is continually allowing the Holy Spirit to control that person's thoughts and actions. If we allow bitterness and anger to control us, we will eventually ruin. Hear me. If we allow bitterness and anger to control our life, we will eventually ruin every relationship in our life. It's true. It's true, if we, will, uh, if we let bitterness and unforgiveness sit 
in our life, we will eventually ruin every relationship that God has given us. I want to read this real quickly. It's Jesus speaking in the Gospel of Matthew. And you remember in that Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Jesus said this phrase, you have heard it was said. You've heard it was said, this is what the law says, but I tell you something else. You've heard it was said here, but I tell you this. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus switches the focus from outward conformity to the law to an inward transformation of the heart. That's what he did in Matthew chapter 5. He switches the focus to the motives of the heart as the true standard. And I want to read this in Matthew 5, and he's talking about Anger. Matthew 5, 21 through 24, he says this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, if you're coming and worshiping the Lord, And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there. It would be better for you not to come to worship the Lord if you have that in your heart and you know there's something between you and a brother or a sister. Leave your your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. Then, come and offer your gift to the Lord. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that the standard would be do not commit murder. And that's a true standard. The, the, the Ten Commandments of, are, are, are still real and relevant today. We should not murder. But what he's saying here is that the intention of the heart is the higher standard. And he says that, that if we allow anger in our hearts to dwell there, that we are guilty of murder. I didn't say that. You just read who said it, right? That was the Lord Jesus If we harbor anger in our heart, we are just as guilty as murder. If we hate someone in our heart and we're angry at them in our heart, it's as though we are guilty of murder. Isn't that such a difficult standard? We can all live with the don't murder, right? Right? That sounds good. I'm not going to murder you, but I don't mind hating you. I'm not going to hit you. I'm not going to shoot you. I'm not going to try to stab you with a knife, but I'm going to hate you in my heart. Jesus said that if you hate them in your heart, you're just as guilty as you have if if you had killed them. It's heavy. I want to read this. This is from the Bible Exposition Commentary. It says this, sinful anger must be faced honestly. It must be confessed to God as sin. We must go to our brother and get the matter settled. And we must do it quickly. The longer we wait, the worse the bondage becomes. We put ourselves into a terrible prison when we refuse to be reconciled. And that's true. Put ourselves in a terrible prison when we refuse to be reconciled. So here's the first step. And I I said the word simple earlier, and and that was the wrong word that, that I used. It's not simple. And I know it's hard. But here's the first step to forgiveness and being free from bitterness and anger in your heart towards others. you got to kill the hostility. It's a decision we have to make. It's a decision you have to make. So if you're here this morning and you have unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart, I want to plead with you. Kill the hostility. Put it to death. Don't allow it to be there. Don't allow it to be there. Confess it as sin. Say, say, say Lord, I acknowledge that I have sinful anger in my heart towards someone. Uh, and it, it, maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's your your wife, maybe it's your coworker, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's somebody here in the room with you. Whoever it is, you acknowledge, Lord, I acknowledge that this is a sinful position my heart is in towards that person, and I repent. 
Forgive me of that. Help me to kill the hostility. To put it away. To put it away and to not dwell on it. It's the first step. Second step is this. If we are to put away or put off and kill the bitterness, what are we to put on? So these kind of build upon each other. As we go through them, it builds upon each other. You've got to confess the sin, confess the anger, confess the hatred and the bitterness. But then don't just stay there. You gotta, you, there there's some action. This is the spirit-controlled life. We must, secondly, put on kindness. We must put on kindness. We put away the anger, the bitterness, the wrath, the hatred, the malice. But we put on kindness. Let's go back to the text there. It says there, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. In contrast, Paul says next, be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. And it's interesting, that word kind is translated in the Greek, krestos. Krestos, C-H-R-E-S-T-O-S. You take out one vowel and it would be Christos. Christos, krestos, krestos. Who is the Christos? Jesus, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And I find that it's, it's a little bit ironic that kindness, and the original word in the Greek, is so close to Christos. And why is that? I believe it's because Christ modeled kindness. He modeled kindness. The word is translated from the Greek Christos, and Jesus personified this kind of kindness. He personified kindness. And so this is what we have to put on. We have to put on the kindness of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to this, Luke 6. You know, the, the Pharisees believed, the religious leaders of the Jews believed that it was okay to hate their enemies. They believed that it was okay that, that to, to hate all those who were not godly, hate the ungodly, and hate your enemies. And all those who are ungodly are your enemy. So there was no evangelism from the, with, with the Pharisees. It was like, if you're ungodly, I'm hating you, and you're an enemy of God, and you're my enemy, and I can hate you. And that's what they believed. And Jesus came and undid all of that mindset right here. Luke 6, 27 through 35, he says this. But I say to you here that are listening to me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To want to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. If they, if, if they take your coat, give them another garment. Give to everyone who begs from you. From the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Isn't that so practical? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that for you? For even sinners do the same, right? Like you, you... you give me something good, it would be the joy of my heart to, to do the same thing to you. And that's easy. But you, you know what's difficult? Is what, he, is what he says here. He says, but love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. It's putting on kindness. And why do we put on kindness? It says there, right, it's underlined there, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. He is kind. So if you're a believer here this morning and you're struggling with un- unforgiveness and bitterness, I'm telling you the first step is you've got to kill the kind, you've got to kill the hostility. But you have to pray that as a believer, if, if I have the Spirit of God living on the inside of me and Jesus is the Lord of my life, I have to be as he is. I have to be kind to the ungrateful and even to the evil. 
And you know, I, I know this is easier said than done, but I just want you to know that, that those that you struggle with in your life, maybe there's something that's really close to you that you are really bitter and angry at. I, I want to tell you, kill them with kindness. Kill the hostility by killing them with kindness. Eat, eat away at them by being good to them. As, as you walk in kindness to those who are hateful to you, as you speak words of life to those who speak words of death to you, as you refuse to retaliate word for word, it's going gonna, it's gonna to break down the defenses in your heart. That's killing the hostility. It's making a choice to acknowledge and repent the anger and the bitterness, but it's also putting action to that decision. It's being kind. It's putting on kindness. Romans 13, 14 says this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ who is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Isn't it, doesn't it feel good sometimes to be mean to people? Y'all looking at me funny, but it does sometimes, right? I mean, we're going to keep it real. feels good sometimes, right? You think, man, they deserve it. They deserve that. feels good sometimes. It's the gratifying of our flesh. They, they're they're going to get their due. They're going to get the payback. And we like that in our culture, for people to get payback. But what do Romans 13 say? Put on the Lord Jesus, the God of kindness, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And who is Jesus? I just want to read this. Philippians 2, 1 through 6. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if you're a believer, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's the mind of Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus. Put on the mind of Christ. Kill the hostility. Acknowledge the bitterness and the wrath and the sinful hatred and anger and then put on Christ. Put on his loving kindness. Be good to those who persecute you. Be kind to those who are rough with you. Instead of lashing back out at people, be kind, be gentle. Be gentle. You may think, I can't be kind to that person. I can't. I can't. I can let go of the anger. I can kill the bitterness, but I can't be kind and gentle to that person. I can't make my outward expressions towards those who have hurt me be kindness. I can't do it. Well, you need the, the, the third step. First one is what? Kill it. Kill the hostility. Put on kindness. If you, you're just like, I just can't do it. Well, then you need this third step. It's in the text for us. You've got to pray for compassion. You've got to pray for compassion. Let's go back to the text. He says, be kind to one another. First, he said, put away, kill the bitterness, the anger, the wrath, the hostility, the, the malice. Put it away, kill it, and then put on kindness, which means you're putting on Christ every day. You're having his mind instead of your mind. You're not gratifying your fleshly desires. And then he says this, be tenderhearted. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Hearted. And this is an interesting word here. Tender hearted. Tender hearted speaks of a deep inward compassion. And here's what it actually means. This is so funny, but true. It means that your bowels are good to the person. You have good bowels. 
actually what I read. Your bowels are good. It's kind of funny and strange all at the same time. But you know, isn't that true? When you, when you have the contrast of bitterness, which is that deep, mm, you know what happens? Your bowels go bad. It's true. They go bad. You're eaten up with anxiety. And anger eats away and you got stomach problems and you, and, and, and you just, you, your health goes south. It's true. Medical doctors will tell you that. I'm not one of them, but I, I know a few. And they will tell you that, that, that your internal well-being impacts your physical body on the outside. And I just think it's so interesting that he, that he says, in contrast to the bitterness, the anger, and the wrath, he says you need good bowels toward those who, who have hurt you you got to be good on the inside. It's a deep compassion. And you think, I cannot be kind to them. Because I am so full of hurt and bitterness and anger and wrath. They were so bad to me. And you don't understand, Pastor Ben. You didn't experience what I experienced. And that's true. I haven't. But Scripture is true. I may not know all the details of your situations, but Scripture supersedes the details of your situation. This is the truth of God's Word. So you may say, I can't do it. Well, then you must pray for compassion. You've got to pray for compassion. This is contrasted. This, this compassion, this tenderheartedness is contrasted with the bitterness spoken of earlier. As we let go of and kill the bitterness, we must pray that the Holy Spirit would do a deep work of developing compassion in our heart towards those who have offended us. Jesus had a conversation with a, with a lawyer. You guys remember the conversation he had with a lawyer and this lawyer was trying to trap Jesus and he was trying to get Jesus to say something that would be in con- contradiction to the law of God. And, and so he has a conversation with Jesus and, and Jesus asked this lawyer, what's the greatest commandment? And, and the lawyer says, it's to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, well, you've spoken well. And so Jesus begins to tell him this story because the lawyer said, well, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? So, so I should love my neighbor as myself. And again, do you remember the Pharisees? The religious leaders said that they could hate their enemies, that, they, that their neighbors that they would love would be those that were like them. And so Jesus says, he says, you got to love your neighbors. And, and your question, who is your neighbor? Let me tell you who your neighbor is. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. The man gets beaten, robbed, he's half dead. Priest comes by, doesn't do anything, passes on the other side. A Levite comes by, these religious people who should have done something. And he's telling this story to a religious Jew. And he was thinking, why didn't they do anything? You, he was, it would have been obvious these guys should have done something, but they passed on the other side. But when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the, on, the, on the other side, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He had tenderheartedness towards the man. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he sat next to him, sat him on his animal, brought him to an end, took care of him. Verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go, do that. You do that. You know what's interesting? Earlier, I forgot to say this. The lawyer was seeking to justify himself is what the text said there. And so Jesus told him, 
If you want to be right before the Lord, you need to obey those commandments. But I'm telling you that you got to love your enemies. He elevated a Samaritan who in a, in a Jew's mind was the worst of the worst. They were a half-breed person. They were partially Jewish, but they had intermarried with pagan nations. And so Jesus elevated a Samaritan and said, you got to go be like that person. Act like them. Jesus' answer to the lawyer did away with the pharisaical excuse for hating one's enemy. Jesus elevated a hated class of people and demonstrated a heart of compassion through them in this example. If we are to walk in forgiveness, we must kill the hostility. We must put on kindness and we must pray for a deep-seated compassion in our hearts for those who have hurt us. And lastly, as we close here, lastly, we, we have to let go of our right to punish those who have hurt us. The last thing is this, we must cancel the debt. We've got to cancel the debt. So the next section there in the text, as we think back, kill the hostility, let go, let go, put away bitterness, wrath, anger, malice, clamor and slander, put on kindness and tenderheartedness. And then lastly, he says this, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As God in Christ forgave you. And, and, and I, I know I've read a couple of stories here, but I want to read this last story that Jesus told in Matthew 18. It's the parable of the unforgiving servant. And it perfectly illustrates for us our motivation for forgiving those who have hurt us. Jesus describes this. And, and it was to the question from the disciples, how many times should I forgive my brother when he offends me? And this is the story that Jesus tells. Therefore, verse 23, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one, of, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servants fell on his knees. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And, and, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him, forgave him the debt. He canceled the debt. And when the same servant who had just been forgiven went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. 10,000 talents, a hundred denarii. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that this had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And you should, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt, that 10,000 talents worth. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. 10,000 talents signifies an infinite amount of money. There was no way in in Middle Eastern times to put a number on what 10,000 talents were. It was just infinite. The 100 denarii signified three months of wages. You guys see the contrast? The one servant was forgiven an infinite amount of debt. And he went 
And somebody owed him three months wages and he would not forgive him. He would not forgive him. The clear picture of this parable is this, is that all of us, hear me, I'm ending right here. The clear picture of this parable is that all of us, apart from Christ, are infinitely in debt to God. All of us. We can never pay what we owe. That servant in this parable, it was impossible for him to pay what he owed. It was an infinite number. 10,000 talents could have never been made by him in his lifetime or any other lifetime. We can never pay what we owe. But God, through his son, redeems us. He pays the price to forgive our debt. In light of this forgiveness, listen, in light of this forgiveness, directly because of this forgiveness, we should forgive those who have hurt us. Every other debt, hear me, every other debt pales in comparison to the debt we have been forgiven of in Christ. We must choose to cancel the debt. We must choose to cancel the debt. So I just kind of wrote this word here. Just kind of wrote this word, this word, guilty. So whoever you're thinking of in your life right now, that's hurt you, that has offended you, that has stolen from you, that has cheated you, that has lied about you, hurt you in your past, they're guilty. They were wrong. They were guilty. It was their fault. Absolutely. There's no justifying the things that people do to hurt us. There's no justification for those things. When somebody sins against you, it's wrong and they are guilty. But the picture is, is that this is the banner over my life too, apart from Christ. This is the ultimate foundation for for putting away the bitterness and the anger and the wrath and the malice and the clamor and the slander. It's to remember this, that this is the banner over my life apart from Christ. And it was the guilt that I couldn't I couldn't do away with on my own. This was going to hang over my life and over my head for the rest of my life and then into eternity had God not redeemed me. And when you think about that guilt and what God, I'm no longer guilty. We sang it earlier, I'm a child of God. There's a place for me. In Christ, there's a place for you in your father's house. And this is no longer your banner if you belong to him. Because of that reality, that we only have one choice, don't we? There's only one choice with those who have hurt us. You can't change the past. And if, and if you dwell in the past, it's just going to control you forever. It's just going to control you forever. You can't dwell in the past. So there's really only one choice. Because of what Christ did for us, we only have one choice. And we have to cancel the debt. And I chose a, I chose a red marker here to signify the blood of Jesus. We have to cancel the debt debt it's hard to cancel the debt because they're, they're guilty but we got to cancel that debt they don't deserve it absolutely they don't deserve it but we didn't deserve to be forgiven either sometimes we wish they would have to pay for what they did but we didn't have to pay for what we did so this is what you do. You got you to draw the red X. You got to cancel the debt. You got to cancel the debt. You got to exit out. You got to get rid of it. You have to cancel the debt. Put away all bitterness and malice and anger. Put it away. Put on kindness. 
pray for compassion. Pray for compassion and cancel the debt. Would you stand with me this morning? Cancel the debt. That's the spirit-controlled life. I know that there are, there are many of you here this morning that this is, this is you. This is your life right now. And you, it's been a difficult message for you to sit through because you've been thinking about those things. You've been thinking about your hurt and your bitterness and your anger. And maybe some of you here that are feeling that, you're like, I just don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't want to do it. it was, maybe you felt like you wanted to get up in the middle of the message and just leave because you just couldn't handle it. I just want you to know there's hope this morning. The hope is in the gospel. And if you're struggling with that and you, and you need help to walk through that, our pastors are here. We're here. We can help you. We can help you walk through that. There's other brothers and sisters in Christ, leaders in here, that can help you reach out for help. Have somebody, talk to somebody about what you've been through and what you're dealing with. Because you have to get, you have to, you have to get to the place where you can cancel that debt or it will control you for the rest of your life. Can I pray for you? Don't you bow your heads with me. Lord, we come before you this morning, broken people. God, we are broken. We are flawed. We are sinful. And we struggle. We struggle, Lord. And we need your help. We need your help, Lord. And Lord, I pray for all of those here this morning that are dealing with unforgiveness in their heart towards someone else towards a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, towards somebody who's not a believer, anyone in their life, they're struggling with unforgiveness and bitterness and anger towards them. And they want them to pay for what they did. Lord, I pray that you would help them to forgive. God, it's not easy. That's why we need the power of your Holy Spirit to help us, to make that decision, to release them, to let them go and to trust you with our life. So I pray for all of those here that are like that. I pray that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit has been convicting them and has been challenging them. And I pray that they would make the tough decision to cancel the debt. Because of what you've done in their life, that they would make the decision to cancel the debt. And Lord, help us all as we go, go on through our life. When we come up against unforgiveness and bitterness, help us to respond correctly. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for what you've done for us on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.